0: The Incomparable Number 473 August 2019
1: Welcome back Comrades to Fine Industrial Podcast I am Jason Snell I am the designated Person who introduces The podcast because having Guests and hosts would be Un-Soviet Shall we say Joining me to discuss A fine bit of Soviet history, the glory of the RBMK nuclear reactor, and how it definitely doesn't have any flaws, uh, are the following people. We're here live in Pripyat. (laughs) How long am I gonna keep this up? Comrades, let me let me introduce Comrade Moises Chuyan. Hello.
2: I usually have a joke, uh, but considering the subject matter, I don't have a joke this week, Jason. I'm I'm sure
1: one will come to you and you'll discard it later. Uh, comrade Kathy Campbell, also here. Hello,
3: comrade. What are the costs of the lies we're going to be telling tonight?
1: Uh, we're, we're having a sale. Buy them the, in Oh, goody. And uh, comrade Brian Hamilton, also here. Hello, Brian Hamilton. You didn't see graphite. <laughs> That's, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Because so, it wasn't there. So it wasn't <laughs> there. No, it's impossible. It's impossible. So we are, of course, if you haven't figured it out yet, discussing HBO and Sky TV's um, recently broadcast Miniseries Chernobyl, which is about, of course, uh, as many of you uh, who lived, who were alive and aware in 1986 may remember, the Chernobyl nuclear power plant disaster a horrible thing that happened to a bunch of people, a systemic failure of an entire society that caused all these people to die or be horribly injured, and uh, the people who were responsible for it directly, the people who tried to mitigate the responses and essentially sold their souls in the process. They also probably died of uh, side effects from the radiation of Chernobyl. It's What I'm saying is... Uh, those five hours of Chernobyl are just going to knock your socks off and you're going to want to re-engage with the world and plant some flowers and dance jig after you watch them. It's kind of rough sledding and yet incredibly compelling television, which is why we felt compelled to talk about it. Yes. I was in high school in 1986. In that era the menace of nuclear war hung over the world the possibility that there could be a nuclear exchange that could kill uh, everybody basically through direct or indirect cause of of uh, many many nuclear explosions I'll also point out that in January of this same year the space shuttle exploded which was a, a huge event certainly for American uh, American, uh, kids at that era. It was a, a moment of, of shock. And I think Americans in general remember uh, where they were when they heard about that. So I, I think you've got here a story viewed from the outside of an era where we were afraid and where technology and science, things that we had seen extolled as these incredibly amazing things that human beings were doing, um, we saw the Darker side of that, the failure of that technology. Now, it turns out, as this story tells us, that it's not the technology that fails, it's the people and the system that lead to the failures because they didn't adequately plan for what the possibilities were and they didn't want to grapple with the truth. And by the way, that's also true of the space shuttle, and you, there's a, yeah. a, a, a miniseries or it's a TV movie called "The Challenger Disaster," starring William Hurt. That is a good, pretty good depiction of that. It is the it is like a little
2: cousin to Chernobyl in some ways. Aww. About that, the level of. Black and white, almost sports rivalry uh, level. That's that's the metaphor I would attach to it. Kind of U.S. versus Russia sort of thing. Um, as many bad decisions as are made by Russians in this movie. This is not a cartoon. This is not this is not the kind of oh backed by the CIA thing that people within the Russian Federation's uh, intelligence service have, have classed it as. You know U.S. CIA propaganda. It handles these people as human beings and not. Uh, this is this is a look at at how their side screwed up from the superior American side. It is it is a, a beautifully, to me, post Cold War take, um, and that's that's something that I found really wonderful. That there was no for comedic effect. Here's the pratfall version of making somebody look dumb. It was full-on just bureaucratic malfeasance and lies that carry the day in the way that all this is depicted. And that's the very careful line uh, that they had to tread. And I'm, I'm glad that they did that as well as they did.
0: It's never funny. It's never a political cartoon. It always carries this weight of with it that this lie and this devout belief to the USSR is killing millions of people as mm-hmm. we speak. And as you watch, you know, a specific scene go by where two people have a very tense conversation that breaks out into a shouting match about there was graphite there was no graphite you can feel the time being wasted especially with that one character being like well it's been uh 36 hours since the explosion that's uh 72 hiroshima bombs like it's incredible the way they put it together to feel real and intense without ever getting funny or campy
3: yeah and i i like i really like how they took this huge story. So many people were involved, um, and managed to still let you connect with individual characters in a way that made it that like rebounded that realness to it. Um, you know, not just following along the people that were working there that day, and then the people coming in and fixing things and whatnot, but also, you know, Ludmilla and, that whole story and all of the little pieces that make it feel full right it it really it really made me um think of titanic the movie and how now if well james cameron probably still would have done you know the super long movie, but if he would have chosen (laughs) to do an HBO miniseries on it, I feel like Mm. it that same essence to it, which is part of what made the movie Titanic as powerful as it was, because it did connect you with individual people in the greater story that you know what's going to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. it's exploding, which is also why they started the show, how they started the show. I don't know if we're getting spoilers. Yeah, no. I in mean, that, I. But
1: yeah, I, I think we're gonna. If you, if you, at any point your appetite is wet to watch uh, Chernobyl and you haven't seen it yet, then then uh, go do that and then come back here. And you should also listen to the excellent Chernobyl podcast with yes. Peter Sagel and Craig Mason, uh, Craig Mason, who wrote this entire miniseries, and uh, they discuss some of the choices he made. I think you make a very good point about the fact that this is. I was thinking about this. the The story has to be carried on by some characters who have the big picture in mind, because otherwise, it as a piece of uh, television, I think it would be nonsensical. And so you end up with these main characters: Jared Harris as Legasov, Stellan Skarsgård as Sherbina and Emily Watson plays uh, Komyuk, who's a, a composite character. She represents all the other scientists essentially yeah. in the <laughs> Soviet <laughs> Union. Um, but I think I think one of the smart moves that Craig Mason made in writing this was, they're important to drag us through the story. But if you focus on the officials, even the officials who are trying to fight the system and work the system and do the right thing to save lives, you are going to miss the you know, what's happening on the ground level, the human cost of this. And so we get the story of Ludmilla and Vasily. Uh, He's a firefighter who is horribly, uh, Burned by radiation and dies and she is his wife and she goes to find him in Moscow at the hospital. Um, Also, I would say there is a big part of one episode that is devoted to the miners who are brought Mm -hmm. in to dig uh, something that in case there's a meltdown would basically poison the water supply of a large part of Europe. And uh, they sacrifice their lives and there's really no assurance that they'll even be taken care of. And I think that's one of the things that this this um, miniseries does very well is not forget those people. The kid who, uh, with his crew of, of weirdos, has to go, like, kill all <laughs> the pets in yeah. the town. Pavel the liquidator. Oh. And finally, right, the faceless thousands of people who are given um, these... You know, lead suits basically, right. and told to run around on a on the most contaminated rooftop in the world yeah. for ninety seconds to throw as much radioactive material over as they can, and then they leave because literally no person can can be up there for more than ninety seconds for their entire life, and, and I, I guess what I'm saying is. Even though our main characters are these uh, scientists and functionaries who are trying to solve the problem, and that, that gives it a through line, it gives it uh, a, a narrative tension, I, I don't think it ever forgets the people who are face-to-face with the horror of the radioactivity that's been spewed out everywhere by this nuclear power plant disaster, and I think that's one of the that humanity is essential
2: yes. to getting through this. And one of the one of the things I'd throw in here is uh, is this miniseries benefited greatly from a bunch of Game of Thrones actors not having a whole lot to do. Uh, <laughs> you know, you have got Maester Lewin from Game of Thrones. You got Ramsey Bolton in there. You got you got Pip. You got Joe Alton shows up as one of the Liquidators for for a few minutes and everything.
1: How does everybody feel about a, a some controversial choice, which is to have all of these British, largely British actors. Stellan Skarsgård is doing whatever his Swedish-inflected <laughs> uh, English accent is. But Skarsgård,
2: gonna Skarsgård, yeah.
1: They're they're gonna do they're English actors with English accents playing Russians, and everything we see. Is in Russian is, is in Cyrillic and and Russian Cyrillic uh, letters on, and and Russian language and I think the all the PA and radio and stuff like that is actually in Russian but the the actors speak English largely with an English accent instead of doing a kind of you know. Boris and Natasha kind of Russian accent, which would
2: have been, I think the usual way you would have gone with this. If, if I can, uh, you know, jump in as the guy who, you know, has, uh, you know, multiple accents that are native to him. Something that has bothered me for much of my life is, is the notion that something like this would be controversial, that everybody should put on somebody else's ethnicity, and national identity as a hat. It's something that even though when I was an actor, like I made a lot of my career doing a variety of different Western European accents and that sort of thing. Um, It's something that I think has a place when it's somebody who is supposed to be speaking English. Uh, with that intoned accent, but in, in the modern world that we live in, if you want to have native uh, Russians in the thing, then do it in the Russian language and cast, you know, all Russian actors. Um, It's not something that bothered me at all. It's not something that stuck out to me, but I think, I think where the controversy came from is because people got people, people have been very used to that being the way that you denote, Oh, this is happening in another country because we're shooting in a place that looks sounds and feels like, uh, you know, Eastern Vancouver, uh, or, you know, the West side of Toronto. Um, and in, in a series like this, that they, they shot out in the Eastern Bloc region and everything looks and feels very distinctly Soviet. Um, if they were going to make it in the English English language, I don't, I don't mind it at all. And it would have bothered me if, Most of the cast had it. it, 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 It's something that it it bothers me on two levels. It bothers me in the first level I mentioned. And then the second level is when most of the cast is doing it okay. It's fine. It doesn't really bother me. But then there will be like Harrison Ford trying to do a Russian accent uh, in K-19 or Sean Connery trying to do a Russian accent in The Hunt for Red October. And then it it morphs into his natural voice. And it just it's it's one more thing to take the actors out of the the vivid lives that they are trying to portray and it's something that i that i feel like besides my you know personal issues with it it's something that detracts from performances and the times that i've had it heavily layered on me it's taken away from my being able to be in the moment and focus on what i'm doing and instead i'm it's like i'm 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 trying to rub my belly and, and twirl a basketball at the same time
3: yeah i didn't really feel that it took me out of the event i didn't even acknowledge it and recognize it until i was listening to the podcast where they talked about it and i was just like oh yeah duh why did i not think about this and and i think part of it is because they do like moises said they they everything else is exactly right it's all in this world um and trying to have these actors work on accents and make sure that they're not the Boris and Natasha over the top that Americans expect was almost like taking one piece out to make a beautiful, or like, you know, one piece of jewelry off before you go out because it's just too much that could just detract from the amazing performances. Um, And so, you know, there were reasons that the directors and producers and everyone making this huge spectacle event there are reasons that they chose not to do this
0: to me it would have been so much worse if they had tried and failed to give all these english actors russian accents so i'm grateful that they kind of stayed in their lane in this sense and honored the culture of these people in a way that wasn't offensive you know there's this whole sect of people who are unknowingly you know appropriating another culture by saying, no, no, you don't understand. I'm respecting it. I'm loving it, but they're not understanding what actually goes into it in a way. So I'm kind of great. I I am grateful that this is not Boris and Natasha.
2: A a lot of, a lot of the, the natural feel of this feeling like they are actually portraying who they're portraying happens for me at the script level where, you know, having, having comrade, having, having the translated version of Tawadish in, in the script and the, the actual dialogue between the characters Feeling Russian without having rocky and bullwinkle on top of it um, is is really what I think gets us the the distance that we need to go.
1: I think the accent thing too um, accents have a fundamentally othering um, mm-hmm. effect and they don't speak with a thick, potentially mangled accent in their native language they speak fluent of their native language and so you read i think you read characters differently and as uh as being kind of outsiders uh if you have them be doing you have them doing fake accents these people weren't that way they were speaking their native language fluently and and you make them seem different as characters if you do that yeah and it it puts i feel like it puts remove a remove between the audience and the and the characters when you do that and i much prefer it when it's just in your face like you you fully can relate to these people whether they're afraid or they're dying or they're panicked or they're defensive um why try to read that through an accent, and also kind of put them at arms length, and say, "Oh, the silly Russians with their No, no, these yeah. are just these are just people speaking English fluently, and um, you have to deal with who they are and how they're how they're reacting, and and that layer gets removed, and I I think it's a good decision. I get how um, it seems weird to people. I will say, yes, Kathy um, mentioned this. Um, by all accounts, the art direction of this, the 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 sets, the special effects they did, as well to make it feel like the Soviet Union in 1986 by all accounts they did a very very good job it's you know people can nitpick some of it but people who lived in the Soviet Union in 1986 look at this and say oh wow they got the whatever the lunchbox the boots the yeah. the wallpaper like it, it the buildings were what in in Lithuania i think and they are yeah. soviet block era uh, buildings lo- like the kind that are in Pripyat. So they, you know, from that perspective, it is very authentic. Uh, and then the actors, uh, the British actors largely are inhabiting the roles. I think it, I think it works great. Time to take a break from Chernobyl talk just for a minute. So I can tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Now you may think that you're safe, that nobody is looking for you, targeting you to snoop on your data, To steal your data. But the fact is that if you're using the internet, you're um, at risk. You're at risk. And that's why you need tools to protect your privacy. Uh, It's not just about hackers stealing your stuff. It's also about ad companies and other identity brokers, privacy brokers, personal data brokers collecting more data about you. If you've ever browsed the web next to somebody sharing a Wi-Fi connection and noticed that the ads that you're looking at are the ads that they are looking at. It's because you're being targeted by your IP address. It's just one way they can rip more data out of all of our lives and then use it to market things to us. And you know how you can avoid that? You can use ExpressVPN VPN. It runs in the background of your computer or phone and encrypts your data. It hides your public IP address. So just download the app, click to connect, and you're protected. It was rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It uses new cutting-edge technology called Trusted Server that makes sure there's no log of what you do online, costs less than $7 a month, and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Now, I've used ExpressVPN. One thing that I've used it for is uh, Wi-Fi without passwords and stuff like that, where I felt like I don't want anyone to see my my data as it's flying over the uh, uh, flying over the Wi-Fi. I don't want an IP address identification. But also when I'm traveling internationally, I've done it where I've been able to tap that button and be back in the U.S. with a U.S. IP address so that I can read newspaper sites that would block people from the EU, let's say, or uh, check out my HBO streaming that's not available overseas, even though I pay for it and I live in the U.S. All sorts of things are possible, once you are secured behind a VPN, protect your online activity today, protect your privacy today and find out how you can get three months free by going to expressvpn.com Snell. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com Snell for three months free with a one-year package. Take back your online privacy, expressvpn.com Snell. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting the incomparable. Now back to Chernobyl.
0: I would never know any of the nitpicky details that people would point out as hey they got that wrong but to me as someone watching this show that doesn't understand so much about the Soviet world it was amazing to watch a show where the production was design was so
1: thorough and so incredibly you know well thought out yeah yeah I mean it turns out it's authentic but the key if you don't know the authentic nature of it if you aren't somebody who was in the Soviet Union in the 80s is that it feels consistent. It feels yes. real. And it turns out that's because they did a lot of work to make it feel that way. But you can you can tell
3: it feels purposeful.
1: Yeah, you really can. Yeah,
3: everything was chosen for a reason. Yeah. Nothing was just like, Oh, I guess this will work. It was all everything down to the shoes down to the tables down to everything is exactly how they wanted it to be.
2: And the the cultural, uh, you know, thing that they had to draw on was that in In the USSR, there was the one helmet and the one kind of boot and the one kind of jumpsuit. This is something they get into in the podcast in greater depth. And it's great. Again, this episode of The Incomparable (laughs) brought to you by HBO's Chernobyl, the podcast, the show.
1: But yeah, Um, there would be, I mean, it's the Soviet Union. They they would make a helmet and then that would be the helmet and they mass produce it for everybody. Like everybody's got the same lunch pail because that's the lunch pail that they made for everyone. Because it was the Soviet Union, and that's what they did. So you you see that, and you see the kind of mass-produced, extruded kind of stuff.
2: And the, the the other thing that that I found interesting is that as distinctly Soviet as all of this stuff is, as us versus them as things were during the Cold War and the pre and the post Cold War uh, period, um, I, it was fascinating to me that so many details of architecture, so many details of various things, were things that that we, as it were, in the West, that that were elements of you know th- like airports and buildings and stuff that i saw growing up in texas of all places um the the rhetoric was so oh everything here is so different than it is over there um but it was it was fascinating to me seeing seeing so many things that 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 really further break down the propaganda the lies that everybody told themselves during that period of how very much uh how very unlike each side of the Iron Curtain was, and it's something that we'll get into later, I'm sure, um, I I think really plays nicely to the universality of the effect that those kinds of uh, saturated lies being told about this is the way that things are, uh, the way that that infects uh, a culture and, and allows for something disastrous and ridiculous and terrible like this to happen. I
1: think one of the things that is great about this miniseries is, and we've, we've, touched on it in a few different ways already. It's the idea that what this is not is an indictment of the Soviet Union as a unique entity. What it is is an indictment of systems where the truth is no longer required. Um, And in fact, the truth may be a problem that the system tries to eradicate. And you could say that Chernobyl is a story of people, human beings against a system, but of course, the thing about a system is it's enforced by human beings. Mm-hmm. And so you end up in this situation where you've got human beings trying to do the right thing but they're caught in various ways in the system. They're victims of the system, they're part of the system, they're imposing the system, but all all of the people you meet in Chernobyl are victims of the system. In one way or another, or are trapped yeah. in the system in their role in the system that they they have to produce this part, they have to play this part, and if they don't want to play it, that's fine. They'll just be replaced by someone who will, and the show will go on. And you know, it's very clear, I think, to to probably all of us that you know when Craig Mazin writes about the Soviet Union and people uh, being threatened by the truth, he's really not just talking about the Soviet Union, right? He's talking about all of us and all of our political systems and how anytime you're in a political situation where the truth becomes inconvenient and therefore is suppressed um, or is twisted, or is called a lie. Um, there is going to be a price, and that you know that this is the end of my book report about Chernobyl that I've gotten <laughs> to right in the middle of this podcast. But that I mean that's what this is about. The the it starts with um, with Jared Harris, who is great in this as Lagasov, dictating essentially the thesis of the entire. Uh, show is in the first ten minutes when he's dictating his his uh his cassette tapes that he's going to hide in a in a panel uh while, because he's being watched by the KGB and says you know it's the lies that that you know this is the system is complicit the lies are what caused all these people to die and and that's uh, what this that's what this is about is this the people caught in a system that doesn't value the truth and the inevitable consequence of that which is horrible um. Things happen to the people in that system
2: without saying the names of specific politicians, parties, organizations, any of that kind of stuff. There's something that I can say that will offend hopefully no one. Uh, and and if it does, it is because uh, whatever label they've attached to themselves, they have fallen into the kind of. One side versus another side ism that breeds this kind of rhetoric and propaganda that is the authoritarian, there is one true way and it is the best way, and you are either loyal or you're a traitor kind of thing. Regardless of what label you attach to your political beliefs, this situation is possible. It is about this mindset. You may think that the political stance that you have is one that is immune to this kind of thing, and it's not. There's not a single way to label yourself that inoculates you against this
1: it's not even about politics it's about i mean when i say the system i really do mean the system because this could be about capitalism it could be about businesses as somebody who is a manager in a a large organization i can tell you when i say they ask you to do horrible things and if you don't want to do them somebody else will that's i've experienced that too you know, I yeah. think that any, it, you know, I, I can recognize that. And was that system Soviet? No, the point is more that the Soviet Union, uh, whatever, you know, many, many, many issues that it had. In the end, what uh, Mazin is saying here is that a lot of the motivation that led to Chernobyl was embarrassment. He points out that the pride yeah. of the of the Soviet Union yes. and the Soviet people. There's the, an episode titled The Happiness of All Mankind, right? Like, there is this great PR about how great the Soviet Union is, and they find a horrible flaw in their nuclear reactors. And then later, there's a horrible accident. And like... All of their reactions are like, we can't let people know that this happened. We can't yes. show weakness. We, we would be embarrassed. And that, that ends up being the flaw. It's, it's, it's enforced by a system that's got a secret police and all sorts of other things like that. But the <laughs> fundamental flaw is that they don't want to show weakness and that they're embarrassed.
3: It's describing so many different things and it all comes down to just like you said, the the idea of being embarrassed, regardless of what system you're in, nobody wants to make mistakes and nobody wants to admit those mistakes. It's kind of like a human native feeling in yeah. essence and, and it really affects a lot of things that happen in everyone's day-to-day life, regardless of what system you're involved in. And in this series specifically, it goes through and just kind of shows how the strict system that they had in place where everyone has their same lunchbox, everyone has an opportunity to have whichever job you want, even if you started as a shoemaker.
1: (laughs) Yes, if you're very lucky as a guy who works in a shoe factory, you could one day make decisions involving nuclear energy that you aren't (laughs) qualified to make. (laughs)
3: It's 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 like they have these dreams and these ideas but as soon as you put it into place because everyone is not exactly the same shape. Everyone is not the same purpose and as soon as you add humans to any sort of plan it starts to break down and true like strength is being able to recognize that and be able to acknowledge the embarrassments and be able to like really really learn from it but man it's just Whew, yeah. It's sad
0: when you see a little kid be this embarrassed about their mistakes. It's terrifying when
1: you see a room full of 60 year old white men being this embarrassed about their mistakes.
3: Yes. (laughs)
1: I, I do want to talk about other aspects of this, but I do think that the, the fascinating thing about looking at the Soviet Union and looking at the system of control, where it's not just a corporate system of control, it is a an entire society. This is one of the unique things or more unique things about the Soviet Union is uh, just how much control was in this enormous society from top to bottom. Um, but you can see it that it's not as if even there the system is is not constructed so that all the terrible things come to the Politburo and then they decide how to deal with the terrible things. The system is constructed to flatten it all out before it even reaches the Politburo. So like Gorbachev is misinformed initially about what's going on. And it's really only through the actions of some of our characters that it becomes gradually clearer that this is a much bigger deal than it was. And that's that's a case where like, okay, does the buck stop with Gorbachev? And the answer is it doesn't get to Gorbachev because yeah. the system is at every level is trying to fight to suppress the truth because whoever is the bringer of the truth in this case, it's Jared Harris and Stellan Skarsgård and Emily Watson. Those people are going to be risking their lives because they're fighting for the truth in a system that is trying very hard to to suppress it, like an immune system is trying to just suppress it. So that's also interesting. That you know, Gorbachev's in charge, but like, is he really? Is he is he driving the machine, or is he just happened to be the machine, in the compartment? Is the machine
2: driving him? He's in the yeah. compartment. It's yeah. going somewhere.
1: He has some buttons to push, but he's not in complete control. Of, uh, of the whole system. And that's part of the, that's part of the horror of this story. And this is very much a horror story in a lot of yes. ways. Yeah. Uh, part of the horror it's is very much a horror story. It's, it's like watching a, I mean, the, 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 the phrase that comes up a lot is, is, you know, you're wa- watching a, a car crash in slow motion, which is this terrible thing is happening and you're powerless to stop it. But you can you can watch it as it's happening and you there's nothing you can do. And that's part of the horror of it is you, you can't stop it. And that, that's that's part of the horror of Chernobyl is that there are people who know what's happening. And yet it for whatever reason, the system is incapable of actually dealing with the truth of it.
2: On the topic of Gorbachev, I thought it was brilliant that they showed exactly what you said while at once not turning him into a cartoon, not turning him into the propagandized version of Gorbachev that I grew up most of my life seeing portrayed in the West. Uh, There's a, a very recent Werner Herzog documentary called Meeting Gorbachev that I found absolutely fascinating. Um, because again, like the iron curtain goes both ways. Uh, there, there is a certain perspective on people that you, that you get in the West, uh, from, from the other side. And same thing goes for, uh, within Russia. Um, and, and I, I, I found, I found it to not be like trying to make Gorbachev out to some kind, to be some kind of hero, uh, not at all. Uh, But the fact that they managed to not portray him as incompetent or silly, or, you know, the guy looks enough like Gorbachev and he's got the thing in his head. So, you know, he looks like Gorbachev, but it's not, it's not, it's not like, uh, it's not like an airplane sequel. The thing to Uh, remember uh, about
1: Gorbachev is that like he, he did get elected as the premier, right? So he, he was not some sort of hippie, right? He was a, (laughs) he was a party guy and he was younger, but they, they wanted him in there. And Gorbachev, you know, said decades later that he feels like Chernobyl is the is is the first of a chain of causes that caused the breakup of the Soviet Union. And strangely, he says it's because it revealed like the secret they were trying to keep, which is that the state was not infallible. And in fact, it was sort of like the emperor having new clothes. It's that realization of like, oh, no, this is not none of this is actually true and we can't deny it anymore. Um, Brian Hamilton, I know you like uh, horror movies. Hello. <laughs> so I wanted to start with you and say part of what this is, especially the first couple of episodes, this is shot and paced and uh, totally feels like uh, a horror movie. It is super scary, except the monster is invisible because it's radiation. Um, and I, I thought, as somebody who is not a person who watches a lot of horror movies, I thought it was incredibly effective at being really terrifying about what's going on in in this movie. Did you feel that way as, a, as somebody who has seen more scary movies than me? It's terrifying and the way that the whole show is paced, it's five episodes
0: and there isn't a like the blank episode or the X episode or the Y episode. It's all pretty intertwined with a bunch of intercutting you know, characters popping in and out and what they all do so well is pace it for whatever part of the story they're trying to tell. So that first episode is very much a like pretty extreme horror movie where they set it up knock it down set it up knock it down they say okay we're gonna go fix the control rods and then they do the control rods and they say oh we're gonna go find this other person in uh this floor and they go do that and it is paced very much like uh you know the last act of alien or something like that and i really appreciate it
1: yeah yeah and people are like coming around corners and finding their co-workers who then vomit blood all over them uh or they're you know it's just like or they turn the corner and suddenly oh i'm looking at this the core of a nuclear power plant and people are getting Irradiated and
0: I did very little, you
1: know. I didn't listen to the
0: podcast, sadly. It's on my list, believe me, it's downloaded to my overcast. But I, one of the things I've heard from other people talking about this is that the creators at one point may or may not have said that they didn't want to be overly gratuitous with the violence or the blood or the medical maladies that are going on. And what I thought was really incredible was the restraint. This is not Saw,
1: this is not Gore Fest. This is like just mild, very scary. Once Once the guys get the radiation. And poisoning and they're taken to moscow especially like there's in fact one scene where you don't see the person because oh yeah. talking to the
2: guy and afterwards you know his his face was gone like that's you get to connect the dots right for yourself. but we just
1: see her reaction to right what his physical condition is so it, yeah. it, it definitely doesn't go over the top and yet it is terrifying extra terrifying because this is a true story very meticulously researched like that's the this is this is the kind of thing that's that's a real horror movie like this was Mm -hmm. real and it really happened to people and that makes it that much more terrifying but it is super like i you know i don't i don't know how to describe this we've talked a lot about how this is a movie about a a systemic uh failure of human systems and 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 denial of the truth and all that it is also at points very exciting and very frightening because it is the story of people who are trying to solve a problem never anticipated, and yes. and solve it on the fly. And I, I was going to liken it, and this is weird because I, I I earlier I likened it to uh, the Challenger disaster TV movie with William Hurt, which is which is good, and people should check it out. But the the you know the 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 movie that I think it reminds me the most of, and this is going to be wacky, but Apollo thirteen, uh-huh. ah. because although <laughs> although A more heroic organization involved in that one. (laughs) It it is, at, at least in part, especially with our scientist friends, Jared Harris and Emily Watson, also a story about a bunch of smart people who are trying very hard to solve a problem that they have never anticipated. And they have to learn about it and they have to put things in place and they have to make things up on the fly in order to try to save lives. And I did. That's one (laughs) of the reasons to like watch it and not want to just stop and go cry is that you can root for them.
3: There was also an explosion after running a test Hey. and pushing a button. So, <laughs> true. you know, I could see that yeah. combination. It's true. Fortunately, connection. Jim Lovell
1: did not say, I did not hear an explosion. We're no, fine. No, very true. We're it just would have been fine. a very, very Houston, different story. We have you... no problems.
0: No You didn't problems. see explosion. Uh, the, a lot of people call the Martian uh, competency porn because it is very smart people solving really complicated problems in really cool ways. I would call Chernobyl incompetency porn where you have really smart people solving problems in cool ways but surrounding them are these people as a part of this system who say, nope, your problem doesn't exist. And it amplifies all of the good science, reasoning, and logic even more. I loved, like, the most satisfying part of the show to watch for me for some reason is uh, the testimony with the
1: uh, placards that are going up and coming down as he's oh, explaining so how good. a nuclear reactor works. I love it. The Yeah, this is, if you haven't seen it, the, the last episode, they're trying to find a way to visualize how to explain... Um, and, and this, we could talk about the structure of the show because the show is structured very interestingly. It starts at the end with Jared Harris writing his, do, doing his memoir basically and then killing himself. Uh, 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 what, a year, two years? To, two years. Two years to two years the moment. To the... Two yeah. years to
2: the moment. Because
1: yeah. the, then the, the immediate thing is two years and one minute previously and we sh- we show the accident. But the things that lead up to the accident are wi- are left until episode five. And then Jared Harris walks us through it along with flashbacks. And he's got those little little pieces of plastic, like the red and green pieces of plastic. And he explains the science that's the real science behind how the control of these reactors works. And it is brilliantly done. Right. It is. It is really brilliantly done. And waiting. I love the restraint. The, this show has a lot of restraint to wait until yes. the end to say, OK, how is it that, as as Craig Mason said in his podcast, the biggest mistake possible that you could possibly have in the midst, in the middle of a safety exercise <laughs> Safety. Keep in mind, they were doing a safety exercise that led to the biggest nuclear disaster in history that they missed it by just a
2: little bit. I feel like there is one incompetent person in this movie. Exactly one, and it's <laughs> D- Anatoly Dyatlov, the yeah. one guy. Yeah. Th- th- this whole thing happened because of one guy. Now, there are inefficiencies, there are things to dislike about the culture of lies that make, uh, that make the truth not uh, matter so much at a certain level of, of the government involved, but the, the thing that I found beautiful— was we we heard a version of, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's like the the Pledge of Allegiance or something like that, but like a, a national motto that is talking about the the collective the collective good, everyone pitching in all these miners not giving a crap about what was going to happen to them and going in um, knowing that who knows, you know, this could be really bad for us. Didn't matter. It was it was for the good of everybody, people who were being given the option to volunteer for something that. It was being phrased as an option, but they they through not because of a threat to them, but because of their sense of duty and purpose, and you know being part of the the big hand of people to help you know raise up the greater good and try to make all of make all make this problem go away as quickly as possible. Um, the 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 thing that I that I that I found fascinating is that there was that kind of real collective. Uh, A version of patriotism that it's not the lens through which I think we see it in the West where it is. Yeah, uh, it it is like those guys who are who are going to be the second wave of people going into no man's land out of the trenches. They know that everybody who went out ahead of them got shot in the head and they're about to follow them and they are about to die. Um, And they're the the thing, the thing, the thing that I think is where our interpretation as Westerners come in is that we we will apply the the full incompetence of that one guy to to the whole system, um, and and they're two separate but very directly related issues.
1: Although to be fair, one of the revelations that Lagasov has is that he and other scientists realized the flaw that ended up the incompetence of Dyatlov caused the accident. But mm-hmm. if they had recognized the flaw and 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 uh, addressed it. It could Separate not have happened. Related. Yeah,
3: yeah, because the there was uh, evidence from previous and other reactors by pushing that test button, it could ignite, and so.
1: And they did nothing to address nothing. the issue, There's... even though there was a paper and it was suppressed and because of yeah. pride, they they hid that. And that meant yeah. that Diatlov, would Diatlov have done the same thing? Would somebody have stopped him? Who knows? But he had a, a he behaved so bizarrely in a way that nobody really could have anticipated that yeah. It, yeah. it led to this. I, I do think he is a delightful villain, I will say. Oh my god, he's he, so good. he is amazing. so good yeah as a as a he's arrogant, and we see him like after he's arrogant and then we see him before and he's worse when he's telling the people what is going on he he clearly has no idea what. Is going on. He's much more focused on his reputation and a potential promotion than he is about the details of the nuclear power plant that he's running. And he, he just, you know, you, you hate him from the first sight of him, and then you discover how awful he is on top of that. It's amazing. It's a really good performance of a villain, mm-hmm. of, a, of, the, of a true human villain that we can point out. It's not just the system. Yes. It's also well, this he, guy. And he,
2: he's, he's he's the big reason that, that your Apollo 13 comparison isn't one-to-one, and, and I get that that's... The, yeah. the, you weren't saying yeah, because, it was. Yeah,
1: because there's a cause. In mean, Apollo 13, it's about right. a bunch of smart people solving an accident that happened that nobody knows why. And that's that's the other part of Chernobyl, right? There's the part of Chernobyl yeah. that is our friends, Jared Harris, Dylan Skarsgård, Emily Watson, they're trying to solve a problem. The other part of it is systemic destruction. We spend four episodes in the middle of a bureaucratic disaster. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and Chernobyl is both, right? Chernobyl, Chernobyl has oh, both yeah. of those pieces working <laughs> um, simultaneously.
0: <laughs> One of the things that I've noticed, Just about recent, you know, 80s nostalgia and the ways that modern media is capitalizing on it, is that when they're making movies or TV shows or anything about a specific story or tragedy or big event that everyone knows. They have to do it in a very specific, unique way. And you called it Apollo 13. I'm going to do you one better and call it something even weirder. I, Tanya, is what (laughs) reminded me the most of Chernobyl. (laughs) That's something that they made a movie about in 2018. And in order to make it sell to an audience 30 years after it happened they had to tell it in such an off the wall bonkers fourth wall breaking artistic way and similarly to chernobyl you know they had to like so many people alive still remember chernobyl and they remember all these things about it so when you're going to make a five episode miniseries about something that i'm sure if you took a poll most people would think they know how what happened at chernobyl but in the last episode of this there is a twist they're like they structure it so cool that there's all these things that are happening, even for people that lived through Chernobyl and know what happened, that they can come back to this and get something out of it. You know there's this like the timeline of tragedy in media, something terrible happens for me that was nine eleven i was I was alive when nine eleven happened, so I lived through that and then. Immediately after, there were TV movies and a few not very respectful movies just kind of capitalizing on it in the years after. I'm sure in 20 or 30 years, there will be the Chernobyl of 9-11 that really examines what happens in a respectful, powerful, new, unique way.
1: And that's what's important. I would say the the difference here is that because we have seen some 9-11 uh, f- uh, film that has has tried to break it down. Um, the one that I'm going to recommend to people is The Looming Tower, which was a Hulu miniseries, is, a, is as an example of that. Um, I'd say, Brian, the difference is all we really knew in the West about Chernobyl was that there was a nuclear accident because the Soviet system, until the fall of the Soviet Union, and thereafter, when information became available,
2: we didn't really know. Yeah. And, and we only found out because <laughs> scientists defected and disappeared.
1: I, I would say I like your premise, Brian, but the the difference is that so much of this was suppressed at the time. We really we really didn't know. And in fact, we might have known even less had there not been those detectors in Sweden that discovered yeah. radiation, which is funny because in some of the supplemental material on HBO's website for this, Stellan Skarsgård points out that he remembers being a kid in Sweden when that happened. And that there were like, there were like products that they could, they had to import and that they, they like mushrooms or something. Like you couldn't eat Swedish mushrooms for 20 years.
2: Reindeer meat because the reindeer grazed in affected areas. Yeah. yeah. All kinds yeah. of stuff.
1: I Speaking of Stellan Skarsgård, I want to mention, um... He is really great in this. I mean, the, the performances are yes. a lot of good performances here. But the thing that I didn't expect to get is kind of a buddy picture. And yeah, and Sherbina, and they're not your most conventional pair of uh, buddies. But I think the evolution of their relationship is uh, a a very important part of this miniseries. And um, if you think about it, there is this uh, this nuclear scientist who. Is kind of in the role of being a troublemaker, and that's Jared Harris. And we know he's a troublemaker because we see him at the beginning recording all of his tapes and hiding from the KGB. And then you've got Stellan Skarsgard as Sherbina. He is a party man. He is a functionary. He is the the gray man in the gray suit, if ever there was one, right? Yeah. And there is and, and, and so he is, he starts out and he's the hand of the state pushing down on Lagosov, saying, you, you're only here for one reason, you need to give your expertise, but everything that happens after that, I'm going to control. And in a, in a very short amount of time, that relationship changes, the pivotal moment being the moment where they're in a helicopter. And Shervina <laughs> says to Lagosov, basically, look, you're going to do what I say and tell me what I need to know, or we'll just throw you out of the helicopter.
2: And and when we're introduced to him, when we're introduced (laughs) to him, we have, we have the feeling that for the duration of the, of the story, maybe he's going to be like the KGB chairman who shows up later. Um, but I loved that we got to see such a nuanced uh, relationship between the two of them, where yeah. it was it was very much you know Lagasse and Sherbina, you know, bureaucratic crime detectives. Uh, it, it was yeah, it was yeah. And I mean, the beauty of it is Lagasse has the knowledge, the scientific
1: knowledge. Sherbina understands the system, and the only reason, yeah. the, the at least this miniseries posits, and I think it's based on the historical documents. Um, the only reason anything got done is because these two guys got in sync. And we're able to be this bridge where uh, Harris Harris's character knows what needs to get done and Skarsgård's character knows how to get it done. And there are several scenes where it's like, I need tons of sand. And he's like, got it. Like, and and then the Soviet apparatus is called into action. It's like, if there's anything I can do, it's move large amounts of stuff in the Soviet Union, because that's what what we're designed to do. And uh, that's the only way anything gets done. And so they end up having that rapport that's kind of beautiful and necessary for anything to happen here.
3: It really draws you in on this story. Like, it... it because we're comfortable with buddy cop movies, we're comfortable with, you know, oh, these adversaries are going to become friends at the end. That's kind of like a trope that our minds are just like, okay, this is going to happen. And so when you come into this, you aren't sure how they're going to work together, because they're very solid characters that are coming in, and you are pretty sure what's going to happen. And it's not going to be good for Gerard Harris. And the whole world. We know that. Um, And so we are so here for their relationship and how they get stuff done so that they can go to a trial so that they can release some of this information so that things can happen and people can have the support that was not really promised, but okay, I guess we'll try. You know, these, these humans that have sacrificed so much for, the Soviet union being able to come in. And so we are just like following along with the, these two as our main key points, mm-hmm. you know, and we have these other stories, these other bits and pieces. And, right. and it's Emily Watson really...
1: comes in to kind of like poke both yes. of them and prod both of them. <laughs> Cause she, again, a, a, a composite character. She's, the rest of the scientific establishment in the Soviet Union. Literally
2: hundreds of scientists. She's representing hundreds of scientists. And I think metaphorically, that's amazing that she literally is representing the collective of the top minds of Russian science. You're doing this wrong.
1: I got another idea. What about this? You forgot the water. There's going to be
3: water. Don't do this. I know this is what you're going to do, but there's water there. You know, that
1: story with the miners is is when I talk... When I said to Brian earlier about the stuff we didn't know, that's like, for me, that was like number one thing I didn't know is they walk through in that moment of like, if it melts down, this is what's going to happen. And it leads to the water supply for millions of people in in Europe being completely contaminated forever. And I was like, yeah. whoa, I had no idea. And it's like, well, that's why we got all the miners, all the coal miners, <laughs> and had them come and take off all their clothes and mine naked for a while so that we could build a concrete pad so that it wouldn't melt down it's like okay and they just they wow. come
2: off as so as, as such noble cool people like it's uh, you know it, it's i'm saying i'm i'm saying something that's evident so it, it's almost like i'm doing the audio descriptive track for for the show but it, it just like the the sheer badassness of Okay, great. Well, then uh, where are we going? Yeah, the miners, you
1: know? that, that scene, that the, the miner episode I love. Here's here's a dirty joke. I didn't, I didn't realize it, but Craig Mason says that that was like, the miners were like the made men of the Soviet Union. Like, you don't mess with the miners. Like, we need the coal. Just let the miners, they're tough, they're heroes. Let them do whatever. And so the minister of coal, who was a, again, a gray man in a gray suit, goes to the coal miners and so they need you to do this thing. And they all tap him with their coal hands and he gets all covered in coal. Um, but they go and they do it. And they do it because that's their their they job believed. and they believe and it's their role and and the the Soviet Union needs their help to save these people and they do it and they are truly heroic in fact that's that those those are the the you know most heroic people in the show are are the people who sacrifice like like that um like like those miners and um i guess i should also mention again that that the scene with the um the the people on the on the rooftop for 90 seconds <sighs> Yeah. which is the the human robots, right? Yeah, is, is, oh my god! Is how they describe them because they, they try to get a, in a hilarious, actually there are a few funny moments. Yes. The German police robot That gets brought (laughs) to them that is is definitely going to be able to pick all of this incredibly radioactive stuff off this rooftop, which they need to do. And it gets there and it works for like four seconds and then it breaks. And it turns out they didn't admit to the Germans how much radiation was going to be on the rooftop. They lied about it. And so it doesn't work. And they're like, well, how we can't, there's literally no technology we can use. And they come across this completely bizarre idea, which is, well, you know, if somebody was up there for 90 seconds that would be about their max radiation exposure for their lives. So we're going to just bus people in every day, thousands of people from all over the Soviet Union. And we're going to, we're going to give them a little briefing and some protective clothes, and they're going to be told what to do. And they're going to get in a shovel and they're going to shovel stuff off the the side of the building for 90 seconds and then run away and then never come back to Chernobyl. And that really happened. And in a, tour de force scene it is the scene of this show um and there's a vfx reel and article about it up, up now where you can see how they shot it Ooh. because they had to shoot it with you know di- with uh some 3d elements uh as well as the actors on on a sound stage to do it but like you are handheld running across this rooftop with the people in real time for 90 seconds. Somebody trips over some of the radioactive graphite at one point. It's terrifying. And it, it's so effective because in that moment we are the human robots who get our 90 seconds on the rooftop and then can never come back to Chernobyl. It's amazing.
0: It reminded me a lot of the uh, the tracking shot in True Detective's first season where it's not yeah. as long as the like eight minute long single take of Matthew McConaughey running through a neighborhood, but it's the same kind of energy of handheld, real really tense, focusing on one person and they're doing something terrifying and life-threatening and it's incredible. Yeah,
1: and in the back of your mind, you're just thinking about all the radiation that's on that rooftop yeah. the entire time.
3: Well, in the audio of that, scene and the entire show is so present with that radiation clicking that even if you don't know what it means you know that it's bad but anyone that has heard you know that I don't even know what to call it but it's so vibrant and so full in that scene that's pretty much all you can hear and you're just like oh my gosh I'm gonna I'm gonna get radiation poisoning watching this show
2: (laughs) Put
0: on your radiation goggles now.
2: On the note of the the sound design, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Hilder Algendater's score, which is amazing. Great great score. Really unusual and brilliantly executed. Completely unobtrusive. It is unique. It is strange. It is weird without in any way... detracting focus from what you need to be paying attention to, which is the sense of, of ever present dread, you know, as, as movies and TV have in, in some ways taken some visual language cues from video games. I've never found an attempt to try to make like the first person doom experience uh, compelling in, in cinema. Um, But, but the first person you are there, you are one of the, the roof robots uh, thing did bring a version of that kind of immersive without the need of 3d or any gimmickry or garbage like that um it, <laughs> yeah. it had that that kind of immersive grab to it yeah when you pair it with the sound when you pair it with you know you don't have any scoring and you've just got the environmental um, nothingness uh it just uh, absolutely phenomenal amazing terrifying everything all at once The score
0: is omnipresent, atonal. The only way I can describe it, it it sounds like what millions of dangerous particles floating through the air would sound
1: like. (laughs) The only thing I can like... The music is radiation. (laughs) It sounds like radiation. The The
2: Chernobyl score, an atomic symphony for the years. (laughs) Uh, the only thing I can
0: compare it to, and again, bringing it back to the video games is the opening animations of Last of Us with the spores like flying through the screen and you see them, you know, just yeah. flying through the screen in these bunches that are organically flowing through the wind. That's what this score sounded like yeah. to
1: me, and it was terrifying. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Oh, I, I didn't even mention uh, back to Sherbina for a second. um the 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 unlikely buddy buddy uh, pairing <laughs> of uh, Sherbina and uh and Legasov. Um, Legasov
2: and Sherbina, they fight they, crime.
1: The there is so in that last episode in the 5th episode there there's stuff that is off the track of what actually happened and Craig Mazin owns up to it in the podcast and He's doing it because he really does want his his show to have an ending and to get the the sense of these characters, even though it didn't happen exactly this way, so yes, Jared Harris steps up and says some stuff that is impolitic and and uh and they have a moment outside he, he, Mr.
2: Smith goes to Washington, yeah
1: exactly, and then they they have a moment outside that's really touching touching where um sherbina. Is coughing into a handkerchief and there's blood. And Jared Harris asks him, asks Skarsgård how long he's got, and he says like maybe a year. Because it's very clear uh, in, in an early scene, they both look at each other and they have the realization that they're they're all they've already taken enough of a dose that like this they're not going to survive chernobyl in the end that they're they're not going to do it I,
2: am i misremembering or in that same helicopter scene where where sherbina says he's going to throw lagasov out uh shortly after that lagasov like gives him or or is it is is it in that scene or a little bit later i think it may be in that scene where he says we're basically dead already <laughs> like yeah we've got hold on a minute let me check my watch yeah, how well,
1: long and do we and have? the context of it by the way cuz again buddy pairing the context of it is that uh Shcherbina doesn't want to be there and Lagassov basically gets him sent there by his report in the meeting to the higher ups in the Soviet yeah. Union. So he he's basically killed him. So that's not a great way to start a relationship. Is say I brought you down here to this fatal radiation exposure, but it's earned. Even if it didn't happen historically, it is earned in that last episode where they're sitting there and he and and. He says, Sherbina basically says, "You saved all these people. You know, what did I do? You know, I, I you know, you know i I got in the way. I wasn't he He's basically questioning himself. And it lets Jared Harris say, uh, I think he I think he says, oh, you know, Boris, you were the most important of all. He's like, without you, I could not have done any of this because you, again, you knew the system. And the, the real tragedy of Sherbina is that this was not his last horrible thing that he had to deal with. He, historically, he had to deal with the Armenian earthquake. His last two assignments mm. as a uh, Soviet functionary for 70 years were Chernobyl and the 1988 Armenian earthquake. And so thinking about that, about how this haunted man who dealt with Chernobyl then had to go and deal with this catastrophic earthquake. And that was his last assignment before he died. Uh, added a whole other layer for me while
2: I was watching Stellan Skarsgård. It's kind of a, an amazing story. Hard to believe that it's true, but it's absolutely true. Anybody who's listening to this who, who hasn't seen the show uh, may think that this sounds like the most dire and horrible and, you know, like, like Sherbina's last few years of work. Um, like, like it is some sort of like, down depressing slog or something. Yes, there's depressing stuff. Yes, there's sad stuff in it. But I I found the, the key thing that made this whole thing work is how incredibly inspiring it is. On the back of all of this terrible stuff, watching all of these people, um, you know, the <laughs> hundreds of people in the body of uh, of Emily Watson um, are, are coming together to to make to make the bleeding stop, to triage this horrible wound. Um, and and it, it's something that all these bad things keep happening. But the reason that it's not unwatchable, the reason that that I'd never found myself anything but anticipating the next week's episode, wishing I could have it already right away Was exactly the kind of, well, you know what it's, I mean, it's, it's almost, um, I I would, I would link it to some of the best superhero stories. It is, we are facing uh, imminent planetary doom um, Mm -hmm. and we have got to save it and we have to put ourselves on the line and we have to put all of our amazing talents on their peak so that we can save people for the greater good.
1: And as much, this goes back to the Apollo 13 uh, dichotomy again, too, but as much as this is a show About a systemic failure and lies that led to a disaster. It is also a show about people doing their best to save lives. And that's why it's not fair to say this is a show about a failure. This is a show about a failure, but it's also a show about a success, which is very, given what happened, very few people died. Given what could have been the Comparatively, the outcome. yeah, it could have
2: been millions and millions and millions of people.
1: And that's on the people we follow in, in Chernobyl, right? There are the party functionaries and the bureaucrats and the bad people who stand in the way, but it is a heroic story, Moises, you're right. It is it is a story of these scientists and people in the party and miners and firemen and other people do sacrificing themselves for 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 the lives of more people for the for the greater good yeah. and so that it, it's both of those things at once the tragedy that led to this point and the heroism of the people who did all they could to prevent it from being a greater tragedy and that's why it is watchable and not a super, you know, downer where it's like you're taking your medicine. It's it's not because it's got both of those in equal measure, I think.
3: And I love that it's a superhero movie where there's not one single superhero. Now, granted, we have been spoiled with The Avengers where there's, you know, three yeah. dozen superheroes. But all, every one of these people, with the exception of the villains that were working in the system and whatnot, but everyone is going to try... To succeed in not murdering the entire world,
1: yeah, yeah, not poisoning all the water in Europe and having you know right like <laughs> they, they are trying and, and you do get that sense it, it is not one of those things where it's like, well, these people tried to do good, but they got crushed under the under the boot of the of the Soviet yeah. Union system. It's like, yeah. no, the Soviet system led to the disaster. they got pushed around by the system, but thanks, I think, to sherbina they navigated the system and there are those kind of uplifting moments where they say i need a lot of coal miners right or whatever and it's like get the yeah. coal miners here and i'm <laughs> yeah. like all right
2: the, they got them here the legion of super miners are deployed yeah, exactly and then later they're the, naked the the the, the, <laughs> the the science league of russia you know swoop in yeah. and it, it just it, like it has those kinds of notes but these are ordinary people who can't fly and shoot lasers out, yeah. out of their and eyes and they pay many of them
1: pay uh the price of either dying immediately in the case of some of the people on the ground and the and the first responders and others it's it's uh, never said because it's not really known but like the coal miners the implication there is that a bunch of them died way too young, right? Like, the, yeah. and that's one of the challenges with the death toll of Chernobyl is nobody really knows because somebody dies at thirty or forty or fifty, somebody gets cancer. Was it Chernobyl? Well, maybe, probably, more likely, but you, it's all, all percentages, and it's harder to tell. And it's of course in a system that was suppressing that information and then then broke apart into component states. And so it's harder to track. And that's actually another funny thing about this, especially for those people who live through it, is Chernobyl didn't happen in Russia. That's the other part of this is that Uh it's Ukraine and Belarus that have to deal with the long term aftermath of Chernobyl. These weren't. This wasn't in Mother Russia. Even in the Soviet era, it was in one of the outlying republics. And although they were important, and Ukraine was the breadbasket of the of the Soviet Union, there's that dynamic too, which is like, you know, it's not, it's not outside of Moscow. It is often yeah. in, in Ukraine and Belarus, and and. Uh historically, now they have to be the ones who deal with it because it's on their territory, even though it was the Soviet state that was running that that reactor. Now that they're independent countries.
2: I'm glad you mentioned that because, I, you know, that, that's me catching myself doing instinctively. The thing that was inculcated into me was just referring to the US, the entire USSR as Russia. And that's we just saw one big giant blob of Russia. Yeah. And yeah, great. There are subdivisions. You know, it's, it's the same thing like the country of Mexico is the United States of Mexico and there are 31 states. Um, but to a lot of Americans, it's, oh, it's just Mexico. Um, I, I wanted to bring something into the show from the chat, which if you uh, follow along and listen live, you can participate in in the chat over IRC that Kathy mentioned um, about the official death count. The official death count of 31 official deaths. <laughs> yeah. And I. Again, I'm not mentioning politicians' names, parties. I'm not getting into that because this isn't a political podcast. But a very, very recent analog that this just chilled me to my core thinking about was the hurricane response in Puerto Rico, uh, mm. where there were, you know, well, what was it? Like a dozen people died, yet somehow thousands and thousands of bodies were filling those yeah. um, And And it, it, different situation, different kind of disaster, different kind of government structure. But the exact same denial of the truth. And it it just there there are there are so many little institutional things that have happened in in recent years uh, across different parts of the world that I think people can relate to this. Um, But but that one in particular, just absolutely. I I mean, it was it was information that factually I knew. But when it got brought to the front of my head, it just stopped me cold.
3: Yeah. Staggering. It's just. I, it, it yeah it leaves me speechless
1: and in the case of, of chernobyl yeah i mean the if yeah, i'm looking at the wikipedia page now and it's like estimates vary, you know, 4,000, 9,000, 16,000. It's really hard to say. And then your, you know, official answer is a, a few dozen because those are the ones that couldn't be explained directly and therefore yeah. Yeah, and there, there's this whole follow-on. You know,
2: there we hey Jason, we've got tens of thousands of people who have died. All of them have had their gallbladders removed. No idea what the common thread could probably be. Probably the chupacabra. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, chupacabras are native to they, Belarus. They, they uh, well, the ones that eat the
1: gallbladder. Yeah, the, the, yep. them. Yeah. that's the Belarusian chupacabra. Boy, well, that's hard yeah. to say. I'm not going to say that <laughs> phrase again. That's a that's a title if I ever <laughs> heard. Oh one. my goodness!
0: They should have wow. gotten the Belarusian chupacabra to uh, push all the radioactive stuff off the roof.
1: Yeah, that would have been perfect. There we go. It would have been if only they could have lured it. There they did, and that's why they're extinct now, Brian.
3: <gasps> oh.
1: <gasps> oh no. Yeah. Twist. another twist in the podcast about the fifth episode of the show. What have we not talked about in regards to Chernobyl that we should get to before we close uh, w- up?
2: We mentioned Ludmilla earlier. I wanted to talk about her yeah. a little bit, both the actress who plays her and, and the fact that she is absolutely a real person who really exists. Uh, and spoiler alert is still alive. Yeah. Um, The actress who plays her, Jesse Buckley, her performance in this thing is so compelling, so amazing. And the reason I specifically want to bring her up is that there's something very simple that you could say about somebody who um, who came to prominence in acting, uh, starting off as an amateur singer in an Andrew Lloyd Webber judged um, singing competition on the BBC. And she, for me, absolutely had my heartstrings in her fist Every minute she was on the screen, uh, yeah. once everything has happened, she is absolutely phenomenal. I love that she is getting this kind of time in the spotlight to to get the kind of accolades that she deserves.
1: Yeah, I'm talking about the human cost, and and she has to navigate the other side of the Soviet system, which is this kind of medical system, and she's trying to get in the hospital to see her husband. And um, he one of the one of the other tragedies of people who have radiation poisoning and radiation burns is that they're radioactive, right? So they tell yeah. her not to, not to go in and she, she, you know, she's pregnant. It's like, no, you can't, but she wants to be with her husband. And it's just, it, it is, it is tragic. And her story is told, she tells her story in that, in the book, uh, Voices of Chernobyl, which, is, and so this is her story about her and her husband. And it is, again, like coming back to what I said earlier, I don't think, this story could be told properly if it was just the mystery story or the solution to a problem story. If it was the Apollo 13 story along with the corruption of the system. You need the the why. Like, why are people sacrificing themselves and risking everything? And the answer is um, for these people. These people are, are paying the price. These people are also showing you what the human cost of this disaster is. And in the case of her husband Vasily, he's both, right? He's he's a hero who's trying to save everybody. He is also a victim who is uh, an an example of the cost of this terrible thing that's gone wrong. It's you couldn't you could not tell this story properly without um Ludmila and Vasily and some and the and the miners and the and the people on the rooftop.
0: Speaking of those people, I will say that of all of the and now that the story's over we're gonna do an ending title card to show you where they all ended up this is the first time that has actually affected me
1: huh. in oh, any really? piece of media
0: uh this is the one where i thought oh my god wow they all died oh my god she's yeah. still alive oh my god that happened like maybe it's the fact that we spent you know five hours with these people instead of an hour and a half in your average movie. But I feel like this is the one that really affected me because this only happened 30 years ago. And everything else that this is used in is much more about like, you know. And then this other historical thing happened and we're going to kind of fake an ending to this thing that didn't really actually end. But like y'all said, there is a real ending to this. And the fact that they were still able to make this extra historical stuff feel powerful really impacted me for the first time in any piece of media
2: it has that kind of schindler's list effect yep. where you have that that grace note that just punches you all the way through it
1: also re- is a reminder that this really happened you know that, that 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 is that's part of the power of it i think is just saying i know you watched 5 hours of this let's remember
2: these people are real you know except, except for emily watson she was lots right. of people, and, but even you know, it's it specifically calling out so that you know that she was a composite, sure, but Ludmilla was not. Ludmilla was a single person, yeah. Um, yeah. and and it delineating all of that stuff was incredibly important, and is one of the reasons that it's not like, you know, I could really see a Chernobyl season two uh, hitting the spot, covering some bases they didn't cover. They covered it. In the way that this sort of format of story could be told, and the books, whether you know, Voices of Chernobyl, which was around while he was writing the script, or uh, Midnight in Chernobyl by Adam Higginbotham, uh, which uh, Craig Mason cites as 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 a great book to definitely check out, uh, which uh, which wasn't it wasn't published uh, when this was being made. Both of those books are are fantastic, and 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 are I guess you would say the DVD special features Mm. of the true story. (laughs) Um, If you if you feel like you've gotten the full depth of everything, you know those. books really flesh things out really, really beautifully.
0: The two things that, from the very first episode that they hang a hat on, the bridge of death and the basement mm-hmm. room full of firefighters' clothing. Right. They bring it back in the ending, and as you're watching, you can tell, okay, this is important, or maybe I've heard of the Bridge of Death, maybe I know the image of these like horribly radioactive firemen's clothes. But Very much like a horror movie. Oh, absolutely. To your, to your
2: point earlier, Brian.
0: Yeah, no, they bring them back in the very end, and they feel like a real punch in the gut, and that's why, you know, if you're someone like me that didn't know as much about Chernobyl as the other three wonderful people on this podcast,
1: <laughs> then you can know why, oh, that's why they hung that lantern in that first episode. Yeah. yeah. Also, um, Moises, you you mentioned uh, you know Chernobyl season two. We told more story. I, I think it's worth mentioning. I believe that um, the deal for this was a six hour miniseries, and 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 that tells you something too. That Craig Mazin went back to HBO and Sky and said, you know, I only need five. It's like, all right, like it, this doesn't feel yeah. strung out. It doesn't feel like uh, badly paced. He he has enough story to tell, and he tells it, and then he gets off the stage. And I think there's something I like that. I like that he didn't say, well, you know. Uh, Netflix wants uh, 13 episodes of this Marvel show. So, get, anybody <laughs> well, ide- get any ideas?
2: There's there's such a thing as telling <laughs> telling the story the right way to get the desired effect and overstaying your welcome. Uh, one of the things that I learned as a result of this is I, I have a half sister who grew up in Cuba, and one of my aunts apparently was one of the medics who received um, who received patients in Havana. Who came over from the USSR for radiation treatment because the USSR just didn't have the capacity uh, to cover it and and still, to this day gets letters from these people who were children that were sent over to Cuba, uh, because their parents died, uh, of, of the very stuff that was threatening to kill them and everything. And of course, everybody on social media has an opinion about how everything should be done. Everybody's an armchair executive producer. And there were people saying, Oh, why didn't you talk about this? Why didn't you you know show this perspective? Why didn't you do this exhaustive thing? Um, I think it's great that I learned that. and I think that there, there are avenues for that story to be told. But I think when it comes to encompassing the event itself and the response to the event, this is the story that was being told. And they, they did it, like you said, without wearing out the welcome. Right.
3: I had the privilege of spending time earlier this week with my brother or with my sister and my brother-in-law who actually work at a nuclear power plant. In the southern United States. And uh, I was like, this timing is perfect. Um, (laughs) And asked their opinions. So, Um, hey, should I be worried? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I knew I wasn't I wasn't worried. um, Partially from, you know, talking to them since they've been working there forever. Um, And knowing that they're different reactors, uh, different styles and whatnot, but I wanted to get their opinions because this is a life that they live every day. Um, they have all sorts of tests. They have all sorts of like everything going on. And he, he was very adamant. My brother-in-law was very adamant that he, there were some things that were gotten wrong, but more importantly, it was just like, this is not the world we live in. You know, everything that they learned from Chernobyl, everything that came from three mile Island and everything like it has taught them steps to actually follow. So there are steps in place that allow these horrible things to not happen again, uh, because they're being honest, they're being truthful. They're not afraid to be embarrassed. And, uh, He was telling me a story about um, some of the test runs that they do, because, of course, before you can be in charge of buttons, you have to run all of the scenarios just like NASA or anything else. And uh, when an incident did happen, he was like, oh, that's it. Because when you're testing, all of the things will go wrong. All you know, there will be 30 different events that happen in this one thing. And if it really happens in real life and only one thing happens, you're like, wait, that's that's it and all of the fail-safes caught and everything like happened and you still have to go through all of the, like talking about what happened and what could we do better? And, and so even though, you know, these are all lessons that have learned from the blood of others. And, but the United States kind of is a little bit better at that, uh, being able to be embarrassed when things do go wrong and fixing them for
2: the future, which is kind of nice.
1: All right. Um, you opened it, Moises. Do you have a closing statement?
2: Yeah. Um, the The thing that uh, that we've we've touched on are you know the institutional things combined with the one guy to make the one bag choice. Um, but as as a cautionary tale, I think it. What I found myself ruminating on, meditating on, thinking on, um, is the notion of social technology. The the you know the technology embedded in culture, um, and storytelling is the machine that makes the world work or come to a crashing halt and imagination is the fuel that goes into the machine. And, um, when you combine it with, you know, the, the metaphors in here about the cost of lies and uh, circles of accountability and, uh, owing debts to the truth, but the truth doesn't care, uh, that sort of thing. Um, it, it really, especially in the times that we live in, uh, makes you think, about how assuming someone else is going to think of something and act on something means that you are one less person helping to try to keep the world on the right side of, of not tilting off its axis. Um, and, and I think that the best thing to come out of this is that watching this has inspired people to, uh, to, to push back, on things that are are clearly intended for selfish purposes and that don't serve the greater good, and and I feel like this piece of true fiction is something that that has motivated a lot of people um, to stand up and do what they are capable of and be counted and and stand up for the right side of history. Um, and not everybody can do that. Not everybody has uh, the has the the uh, health of various kinds. To be able to do that, um, but those who can, I, I feel like this has served a good social effect um, of of getting of 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 helping push people out of their chairs and get out on the streets and do good things for the right reasons.
1: I think we are at the end of this discussion of a uh, uh, you know maybe a little bit unusual for the incomparable, but I think in the end we like to talk about stuff that's really good, and this was really good. Really good, surprisingly good. Um, Well done, HBO, Sky, Craig Mazin, everybody involved in Chernobyl. Um, And well done to my three panelists for joining me in this collective. Sorry, collective. We're all just members of the collective (laughs) on a podcast. Uh, And I want to thank them now for being my comrades. Brian Hamilton, thank you for being here. Of all the podcasters,
0: an entire congregation of obedient fools, they mistakenly sent the four
1: good people. Kathy Campbell, thank you.
3: Thank you for allowing this podcast to bring happiness to all mankind.
1: Oh, excellent. And says Chuyan, thank you. I did see graphite on the ground.
3: No, you did not. You did not see (laughs)
0: graphite on the ground. It's
1: impossible. (laughs) And on that note, I want to thank everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next time.